Well, 418 years ago, a man called Oliver Cromwell was born, and it's absolutely fair to say that he would change Britain forever. Along with Martin Luther and King Henry VIII, he remains the most despised man in the eyes of the Roman Catholic Church. He came from a very modest background. It's absolutely fair to say that it was never his purpose to go on to become the Lord Protector. At the heights of his career, at the heights of his time at the top of the realm, he was offered the title of Emperor, but he would turn it down. For around 10 years, he kept Britain together. Go back to the beginning of his rise to fame. He was dealing with a treacherous king, a king who was very close to the Catholic Church, a king who wanted to hire foreign Catholic mercenaries to march on Britain. And therefore Cromwell decided to put the king's uh, plans on hold. And of course, history would affirm that he was right to do so. But he's a very interesting man to assess. Like I say, he would come from obscurity. He was born to middle-class parents in the Cambridge area. They lost three children in infancy. And yet, as I study Oliver Cromwell, as I look back over Cromwell's 10 years at the top of governments, I see a very fair man, a firm man, but a very fair man. He was dealing with treachery. He was dealing with uncertainty. He was dealing with the Brexit of his day. And as a result, he would have to work with a lot of very interesting characters. His family were, for the most part, of the Puritan persuasion. He had a son called Richard Cromwell, who was known to be somewhat of a backslider, somewhat of an alcoholic. And the author, whose book I spent around 18 months reading, suggested that Richard, known also as Dick, was a homosexual. It could be that he was being uh, blackmailed, hence why he was always in debt. Oliver Cromwell, for the record, was a Puritan, was a Calvinist, was post-millennial when it came to its eschatology. And yet, if you take the time to read him, if you take the time to study him, was a very fair man. Contrast to what it was like on the continent around the time of Cromwell, Catholics and Protestants, but mainly Protestants, were being rounded up, interrogated by the Dominicans, by the Franciscans, and yet Cromwell, on the other hand, was a very fair man. Yes, he would go to battle, he would take his men into war, and they would die, but when he was the Prime Minister of the day, he was very impartial. A good number of people fell foul of the law, and therefore he would overlook some of their transgressions. He would pardon a good number of their crimes against the state. But it's always worth reminding ourselves what it was like on the continents, say in France, say in Spain, say in Italy, around the same time. Unfortunately, historians have decided to completely rewrite history. They've decided to ridicule Oliver Cromwell. They've decided to completely attack him on every front. And like I say, through the eyes of the Catholic Church, he certainly remains the most despised man, along with Martin Luther and Henry VIII. And you say, why? Well, quite simply, he challenged Rome. Quite simply, he took them on and he won. And towards the end of his life, he realized he was getting sick. He was plagued with illnesses throughout his entire life. The natural successor to replace him was his son, Richard Cromwell, but he was deemed to be too weak. He was deemed to be incompetent. And therefore, after a very short time, 
following on in his uh, father's footsteps, it would fall to Charles II to come back. And he was very brutal. One of the first things he would do would be to dig up Cromwell's remains, decapitate his head, and drag his corpse around the streets of London. Not far from here is Speaker's Corner. And we've worked at Speaker's Corner a couple of times. And it's been suggested by historians that his head, or his body, I should say, his body remains somewhere discarded around the Speaker's Corner area. His head is in Sydney College, which is in Cambridge, and we were there some months ago. And when I finish speaking, you'll see some video that we were able to shoot during our time in Cambridge this past summer. But the man Cromwell was a very interesting character, a man of two natures. He would like to smoke, he would like to drink alcohol, he enjoyed the opera, he enjoyed horse racing, he enjoyed wrestling. He would rise very quickly to a level of preeminence, which hasn't really been seen since or before. There are some conversations that took place between George Fox and Oliver Cromwell. George Fox was the founder of the Quaker movement, and George Fox believed that perhaps Oliver Cromwell wasn't a saved man. And these two gentlemen would have many conversations. And on one occasion, George Fox would say to Oliver Cromwell that it was more important for Oliver Cromwell to keep his eyes on Christ and not the crown. I know what he was saying, but to be fair to Cromwell, he was caught between a rock and a hard place. Difficult situation. At that time, there was nobody else, really, that could hold the country together, much like Winston Churchill. 1939 to 1945, Britain was fighting the Nazis. Who else could have held the country together outside of Winston Churchill? Probably nobody else. And here we are in 2017. We're now officially leaving the European Union. And I would suggest this, that if ever there was a time for an Oliver Cromwell character to come along, it would be now. One interesting part that is worth mentioning was Cromwell's pleasantness. He was very amicable, very easy to communicate with. He was very friendly with a cardinal, a guy called Cardinal Mazarin. And you can make of that uh, what you will. But I think to be fair to Cromwell, he was politician and he was statesman. He was criticized at the time by fellow Protestants who said that he was the Antichrist. They said he was 666. You can't really win, can you? It's a bit like when Ian Paisley became the first minister in Northern Ireland. Initially, he was criticized. He was slammed by his own hardline Calvinist Puritans. And on the other hand, he was applauded by Prime Minister Blair and Prime Minister O'Hearn and President Clinton. It's always difficult, it's always complicated when a saved person wears two hats. As far as I'm concerned, he was a saved man. A complex man, a man with two natures. He was plagued all of his life with poor health. When he first came of age, he decided to at least consider the possibility of going to America, known of course as the New World, but Almighty God had a greater call for him. Almighty God wanted him to remain in England and he would do so and for 10 years. There was freedom of religion. For 10 years, there was freedom of speech. For 10 years, there was peace, which pre-Cromwell's arrival wasn't the case. Pre-Cromwell's arrival, you had one king, 
King Charles I, as I say, a Catholic tyrant with leanings towards the Vatican, plotting and planning to put Britain back into a Roman Catholic state, taken back to Catholicism. And like I say, Cromwell was raised up to do a very difficult job during very difficult times. Why is it possible that Cromwell, Luther, and even Henry to, to some extent, are still hated, still vilified by the Catholic Church? And yet Charles Darwin, J.K. Rowling, Joseph Stalin, Mao Zedong, all those tyrants, deceiving people, destroying people in many different ways, were never criticised, were never condemned, were never anathematised, and of course you know why. There were no threats, and they are no threats to the papacy, whereas Cromwell was a threat. He was a direct threat, and as a result, Rome moved against him. Historians have written against him. That's why it's important, if you want to know anything about anything, to do your own research. There was talk not long ago about tearing it down, and I hope that never happens. I think Britain have lost far too many heroes. Was he perfect? No. Was he complex? Yes. Would I have agreed with him? Would he have agreed with me theologically? Absolutely no. Absolutely not. He was a Puritan. I am not. He was post-millennial. I am not. He used the Geneva Bible. I'm a King James man. But when it came to his faith in Christ, when it comes to my faith in Christ, I am saved and I believe he was saved as well. One final thing to say in conclusion to our brief trip to London and you can see it's very busy with uh, tourists and locals flocking to London in the uh, autumn afternoon would be that he would question his salvation as he was dying he wasn't sure whether or not he was saved he wasn't necessarily sure where he was going and you say, why is that the case? Well, quite simply, he was a man with two natures. He had a weak conscience. He was worldly. He would enjoy himself. He would indulge himself. Like most men who rise to a level of power, a level of prestige. And that's why the Apostle Paul would say to make, number one, uh, your calling and election sure. In fact, that's the Apostle Peter. But Paul would say to let your moderation be known among all men. Don't overindulge in anything because if you do the chances are you will lose your testimony and if you continue to overindulge in anything you may risk perhaps questioning whether or not you're even saved. That could have been avoided had Cromwell just stuck to the plain politics of his day. But like many people he had an old nature, he would enjoy the good life, would pamper himself to some extent and uh, would also be successful in avoiding several assassination attempts on his life as well. His life was very difficult from beginning to end. His life was very difficult. And some have suggested that perhaps the, uh, perhaps the Jesuits uh, plotted to take his own life. We don't know about that, that can't be proven. I wouldn't say it's impossible, but I would say it's unlikely. I would say Cromwell died of natural causes, quite likely malaria, uh, based on one assertion from one historian. Did they want to take him out? Absolutely. Would they have loved to have silenced him along with Luther and uh, King Henry VIII? Absolutely. And I'll say one final thing. King Henry VIII went back to being a Catholic before he died. He's no Protestant. He was no Protestant. 
Martin Luther, with all his uh, flaws and uh, problems, was a Calvinist, rode against Rome, hate, was hated as a result of what he would write against Rome. Oliver Cromwell, a Calvinist, very anti the papacy, anti the Jesuits, and they couldn't do anything about it. They couldn't kill him, but what they have done is smear him. They've smeared him with his uh, travels to Ireland, the Ireland uh, expedition, which you can read more about in the article. But to the truth be known, he was sent to Ireland via Parliament to protect the Protestants. And yes, of course, to deal with Catholic terrorists whilst he was there. Right behind me is King Charles I. And I'll allow you to take a look at this good old gentleman behind me. A traitor who was beheaded, of course, by Cromwell on the orders of Parliament. It wasn't just Cromwell's decision. Parliament decided alongside him, like Parliament decided to allow Brexit to become a reality. It wasn't just David Cameron who made it happen. Parliament voted on a large majority to allow Brexit to happen. But here's the thing. Behind me is Charles I. And ask yourself this. Who is he looking at? Well, have a look over there. And there you can see Oliver Cromwell is facing almost head-on with King Charles I. Somebody had a sense of humour. Somewhat ironic, of course. No more than a thousand yards, Cromwell is facing Charles, and one more time, Charles is facing Cromwell with yours truly standing right underneath King Charles I. Not easy to walk and talk, so let the camera go ahead of me, that might be best. And as we walk through the busy streets, of central London trying to share some final pictures before we all disappear and do some street work. To the right of the camera is Parliament Square like I say. This is where the media do all their interviews from and as we were packing up I noticed some new busts just allow the cars to come through. This is a very busy time of the day so bear with us but it's worth just showing our viewers what we noticed as we were deciding to pack up. As you can see behind me is Westminster Abbey and it's just worth spending a few moments saying that Oliver Cromwell's mother will be buried in the Abbey along with his daughter Elizabeth. At the time he was criticised for that and you may say why? Well quite simply even back in the day there were Protestants who were very critical of places such as Westminster Abbey. They saw it as being an apostate building. It also goes some way in uh, allowing us to understand just how quickly Cromwell would rise up the chain. From the Abbey behind me to Parliament, over there, you see just how high up Cromwell went. From a simple boy in Cambridge to Parliament Square, the Houses of Parliament, the Mother of Parliaments throughout the whole world. And as you can see today, it's filled with tourists 
It's filled with people very much enjoying democracy, partly due to Oliver Cromwell, partly due to Winston Churchill, partly due to other greats who have been earmarked out of history, rewritten, reassessed, reappraised by people with another agenda. And that's why it's always important, like I say, to check out facts for yourself. Don't believe what you read, don't believe what you see online. Do your own research. So as you can see, Westminster Abbey, very busy with tourists, paying to go inside to visit the so-called sites, the so-called uh, ancient parts of the Protestant faith. But for our purpose, we're not here to visit such shrines. We're not here to make any case for or against such a place whether it be Parliament on my right or the Abbey on my left. Our purpose quite simply was to come today and speak about Oliver Cromwell, a mighty man, a very interesting man. A man who, like I say, would forever change Britain. Despised by Catholics, loved by Christians. So here we are on the other side of Parliament Square and I made the case already how the powers that be have very conveniently airbrushed Cromwell out of history had decided to put his statue on the other side of Parliament behind railings impossible to get anywhere near and yet within just a few yards in fact just swing the camera around to show our viewers in the distance to the right of the screen is Cromwell you can't quite see him behind the grass and the green but as we pan back to where I'm currently standing, no more than 100 yards, maybe 200 yards, Nelson Mandela. No railings, no limitations, as far as I know, was a murderer, was a terrorist, was in charge of the African National Congress, along with his wife, Winnie Mandela, served 26 years in jail, he was a criminal, and yet look at him, central London, flavour of the month, no limits, no problems. Next to him, if we just walk a few yards, Gandhi, India's most famous Hindu, wasn't a terrorist, was actually a peaceful man, and yet he pretty much brought the British Empire down. But ask yourself this, how can it be possible that there are no railings for Gandhi, no railings for Mandela? And I'll give you one more character right in the far distance, maybe we can get a zoom in. Winston Churchill, Britain's most famous war leader. No railings, no limitations. Anybody can go over, see him, take a close look at him, and yet within 100 yards, 200 yards, you've gone from Cromwell tucked away, forced to face Charles, and yet Mandela, no problem, a terrorist like I say, Gandhi, no problem, indirectly a terrorist of course against the British state back in the 1940s until India got independence in 1948. And one final time, Winston Churchill, twice Prime Minister, and yes, I have problems with some of his 
believes he was a Freemason, he was a Druid, but the point is this. The whole of London can see Winston Churchill, the whole of Britain can see Nelson Mandela, the whole of Britain can see Gandhi, and yet Cromwell tucked away. Just goes to prove my point, that the powers that be, the Roman Catholic Church and the Jesuits and their parliamentarian stooges have decided to put Oliver in a corner, out of sight, and to their shame, would leave a non-Brit on display, a non-Brit on display, and of course, the greatest Brit, alongside Cromwell, of course, very much on show for all to see. What a strange world we live in. I'm very happy to say that the building behind me is Mosley Old Hall, and back in 1651, King Charles II, then known as the Prince of Wales, was on the run from parliamentarian troops. And of course, like his father, he was trying to duck and dive. He was trying to hide from Oliver Cromwell. Charles I, of course, is our main focus when it comes to Oliver Cromwell. Charles I was married to a Catholic woman, and that's probably when his problems began. He was torn. As a Protestant, he shouldn't have been married to a Catholic lady and he would be planning and plotting to take Britain back into Catholicism. As we profile Charles I, we take a look at Charles II and like I say, this building behind me around 1651 was a hiding place for King Charles II. It's now a Grade II listed building, which means it can't be demolished. And just as well as a history buff, such a place is fascinating to me. Charles II was a bachelor, was a very promiscuous character, and it was of interest to me when I was researching Oliver Cromwell that Charles II was lined up to marry one of uh, Oliver's daughters. It never happened, of course. But like Charles I, Cromwell's initial desire was to spare the life of King Charles. Cromwell didn't want to annihilate or assassinate Charles I, but when he but when he realized that Charles I was, like I say, plotting and planning to take Britain back to Catholicism, his hand was forced. He had no option but to deal with Charles I. And of course, you know what happened. He would have the king's head removed. He was executed. It's also worth reminding ourselves that on the orders of Oliver Cromwell, the head of Charles I was sewn back onto the neck and Cromwell gave very strict orders that nobody was to see the remains of Charles I. Cromwell didn't want people to be rejoicing at the death of a king. Contrast that to Cromwell's body being dug up and of course his head being cut off and put on a pike, put on a pole for some 20 plus years. Also, we know about Cromwell on at least one occasion wanting to assist in the escape of King Charles I. But King Charles II would replace Richard Cromwell and within a few years of Charles II taking the throne, back Britain was struggling and people were reminiscing. People were reminiscing over the good old days when Cromwell was in charge of the UK. People were thinking about how good times were, contrast that to 
how difficult it was with Charles II. Oliver Cromwell was a brilliant military tactician. His army were first and foremost hand-picked, mainly family members. In fact, he began with just 10 men. And from 10 men, he would create quite likely and quite possibly Britain's finest army. His army would be outnumbered, outtrained, and yet when his army met King Charles's army, they won. Which just goes to show that you can have the best trained tacticians, the best trained soldiers, the biggest number of troops and soldiers, and still not necessarily be guaranteed a success, a major win. And like I say, it's a blessing for us to be here today to show you where King Charles II would find himself hiding. His father was hiding for a period of time. His father was on the run for a period of time. His father was like a common criminal, very much afraid of being captured and uh, put on trial by Oliver Cromwell. And of course, you know what happened. He was eventually detained. I think it was by the Scots, handed back to Cromwell, would stand trial on crimes of treason. And of course, back in the day, treason called for the death penalty. And Charles I was executed on the orders of Cromwell and Parliament. But for today, we are here looking at a building, like I say, Mosley Old Hall, which gave sanctuary and solace to Charles II. In fact, I was told as I came into this building that this area back in the day was a stronghold for the Catholic Church and perhaps the Jesuits were not too far away putting the strings from behind the scenes. So we will close now and go inside and see what we can film and share with you all. So stay with us. Well, our time has finished and it was well worth coming to Wolverhampton. It was well worth visiting this grand old building. For two days, King Charles II, known as the Prince of Wales, was hiding in this grand old building behind me. It's worth reminding ourselves that during the 16th and 17th century, freedom of religion was limited. Cromwell would permit, unofficially of course, the Catholics to worship. If you were of the hierarchy, if you were of the upper class, if you were from a well-to-do background, there was every chance that you had your own priest, altar, and place of worship. But this building, for two days, would be the hiding place for the Prince of Wales, who later became King Charles II, and it was a great opportunity for us to come to Wolverhampton and visit this old building. The owner, of course, was a well-to-do Roman Catholic, and like I said a few moments ago, this entire area was a safe hold for Catholics that were on the run. It's always worth reminding ourselves as to what it was like living in countries like Italy, France and Spain. If you were a Protestant living in such countries during the 16th, 17th, 18th and even up until the 19th century, freedom of religion was seriously curtailed. Cromwell, on the other hand, allowed freedom of religion, freedom of speech, freedom of thought which his Catholic counterparts would never have permitted anyone. But this is the place that we wanted to visit today and film for our Cromwell article and video. And I hope you've been blessed to have traveled 
as we've gone from Wolverhampton to the House of the Parliament to the Cromwell Museum in uh, Huntington, Cambridgeshire and I hope you've been blessed and hopefully educated. A lot of what I was able to discover over the last 18 months or so was new to me. I'm a student of history, I'm a, uh, a fictionado when it comes to history and yet like I've been saying a lot of what we discovered here today and over the last little while isn't so well known to students of history because the powers that be have been for the most part anti-Cromwell and pro King Charles I and King Charles II. Oliver Cromwell remains a very fascinating character, like I say, despised by Roman Catholics and adored by Christians. Whether Calvinist or not, and the jury is still out as to how Cromwell and co handled the Charles situation. But put yourself in their shoes for one moment, if you will, and ask yourself this, what would you have done? Had you been made aware that the sovereign was leaning over towards Rome, wanting to do a deal or two with the Vatican, would you have turned a blind eye or would you have acted? Would you have stepped in? I'll tell you one other thing. Had the boot been on the other foot, had the shoe been on the other foot, you could be completely guaranteed that Charles I would have acted swiftly against Cromwell. Charles II would have moved swiftly against Cromwell, put him to death and all of his lieutenants with no mercy, with no clemency shown, unlike Cromwell who did all that he could to save the life of King Charles I. And like I say, upon the death of Cromwell, King Charles II took his father's throne and was brutal. So from James Battelle, Wolverhampton, 2017, I'll leave you with this wonderful old building as a final backdrop and wish you every blessing, every happiness, peace and joy in the great name of our God and Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen and Amen. Thank you.